Good morning, men from Cornerstone. This is Chris Matebula, pastor of Hope Restoration Ministries. I want to take this time just to honor Marcus and Bill, who made it possible for me to come and spend this weekend with you. I know it's going to be a wonderful moment together. Just a little bit more about me. You know, um, when, when I was born, actually when my parents realized that they were expecting me, you know, and they decided that they're just going to abort me. At that time, they had seven children and I was the eighth one and they could not handle the eighth child. They decided we're going to get rid of this child. But let me tell you, by God's grace, when they went, when they had to go to this doctor by the name of Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith decided to give my parents, you know, what we call iron tablets. Iron tablets, they don't abort the baby. They actually make the baby to become stronger and bigger. That is why I'm so big like this. It is because of those iron tablets. So why I'm sharing that story is that I'm standing before you today and I strongly believe I'm a living miracle. You know, God did not allow me to be terminated because he had a plan with my life. I'm sharing this testimony with you because most of us, we might be at home, you might be in this meeting, you are facing different challenges, things are not going according to your plan. But for the mere fact that you are alive today, it is because God has a plan with your life. If he has done this with me today, and I want to encourage you, man, wherever you are, that God is up to something in your life. Today, I'm a responsible man. I'm a man who has been blessed, you know, with the family, and I'm blessed with five children. And the other part of my life is that at the age of 10, I had to run away from, from my home, and I was in the streets of Johannesburg for five years. I mean, just living, you know, just an ordinary life, eating from the rubbish beans for five years. And you know what? God was so wonderful. And then this woman picked me up and said to me, I know who you are and I just want to take you back to school and so that you can have a better life. Listen, at the age of 15, I was taught how to read. And at the age of 22, I finished my metric. And God has been a wonderful God in my life. Today, I'm a leader. Today, many people, you know, have been influenced through my life. Once again, you know, it is not over until it is over. You know, two things that changed my life. You know, the first thing that actually changed my life, it was a book by uh, Stephen Covey. Probably all of us, we know the title of the book, Seven, yeah, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Probably you have read that book and I strongly believe if you have never read that book, you may need to read it. Maybe let me just pick up some few habits in that book and then thereafter I will share with you what I want to share with you and um, this morning. The first habit in that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about, you know, if you want to be effective in life, you need to be pre, you need to be proactive. That is what he says. He says, take responsibility 
responsibility of your life. And at that time, you know, I was that person who was blaming everybody about my life. And I realized that if I wanted to do something about my life, I had to take a responsibility. And the second habit that he talks about in this book, he says, begin with the end in mind. He says in this book, you know, I am not a product of my circumstances, but I'm a product of my decision. What a profound statement for every man to know that you are not a product of your circumstances, but you are a product of your decision. There and there, I realized that I needed to do something about my life. And the third habit in that book, he says, put first things first. What a beautiful, you know, a statement there. He says, know your purpose, know your values, know your roles. And he says in this statement, he says, live a balanced life. If you want to make it in life, make sure that you live a balanced life. So it is seven habits, but I just want to give you four of those. And the other one that I love in this book, he says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. What a beautiful principle. I strongly believe that as a man, if we can seek first to be, to understand, and other people will be able to understand us. But this morning, based on those seven principles, get the book. I'm not going to give you all the points, but based on that book, and then I've got my seven habits of highly effective men, you know, so that we can contribute in our society. So seven habits of highly effective men, you know, in our society. For us to change our society, I strongly believe that we also need seven habits that will transform our society today. Number one, if we are going to change our community, we need to take responsibility as men. You know, we are living in a society where men, they don't want to take responsibility. Well, I don't know about other cultures, but in, in, a, in a black culture, I've realized that men are very quick in making babies, but after making babies, they run away. They don't want to take responsibility. Let me tell you, everybody can make a baby, but it takes a man, you know, to take responsibility. So that is the first key that I strongly believe that every man has to do, especially in South Africa. We know more about our rights, but we don't know our responsibility. If we are going to build this nation moving forward, and if we are going to take this nation to another level, I strongly believe we need to raise men who are going to take responsibility. And the second habit that will make us effective men in our society is that we need to be men, you know, who are committed to the cause. Men who are committed to the cause. You know, let me tell you, Men who have changed the nation, men who have changed the society. These are men who have been committed to their families. These are men who have been committed to their church. These are men who have been committed, you know, to their country. They have built their country. They have built their community. They have built their families. At the end of the day, they had stronger a nation or stronger country because it started with them in their families. So the second habit is that we need to become men who are committed. You know, a man who makes a promise and makes sure that he is committed to that 
promise. You make sure you commit and you fulfill whatever you have promised. And the third habit here is that uh, uh, we need to lead in the midst of crisis. You know, we, we, we are living in a season or in a community today where men, when they are facing a crisis, you know what they do? They want to take a back seat. Men today, even when somebody's knocking, you know, at home at night, they are not even so scared to ask the wife to say, just go and check who is knocking at the door. What type of a man, you know, who can ask a woman at night to say, go check. But let me tell you, if we have men, you know, in this society and then who are rising in the midst, you know, of crisis, let me tell you, our churches will never be the same. Our community will never be the same. Our nation will never be the same because we have men who lead in the midst of crisis. And not only that, habit number four, you know, based on those principles is that I strongly believe that men who are going to change this society are men who lead by examples. Are men who lead by examples. The problem that we have Today, in our nation, even in our churches, you know, we don't have role models anymore. We don't have role models anymore. We've got just people who are just occupying the space. You know, most of the time when you ask who are the, are the, the men, you know, who are men of influence, it's, it's so difficult, you know, just to find five of those. But I want to challenge us, men. Remember, our men, our boys and girls are watching us and they need us to be role models and I strongly believe we can change our society when we become when we become men you know and then who are leading by examples listen to me the fifth point that I want to give to you that will make us to change our society is that we need to stand up for others we need to stand up for others for our society to change and to be a different society we need men who are going to stand you stand up for others. You know, the terrible thing, you know, in our community today or in this era that we are living in, you know, you can be robbed in front of people. And the least that people can actually do is to take their phones and to capture the moment without being helped. You can even be killed in the midst of every people, of everybody. The problem is that today we've got men who are not prepared to stand up for others. I want to challenge you men this morning to say you are a man, you have been created in the image of God and God is relying on you, he's depending on you to stand up, you know, for others and make sure that you show them the godly way. The sixth habit here is that we need to improve lives around us. I strongly believe that when God said to Adam, you know, here you are, I am placing you in the garden, you know, together with Eve. You know, he gave him some instructions. Listen to what he says. He said, I want you to cultivate, you know, Eden. I want you to cultivate the garden. Because it was in him, Adam himself, you know, to cultivate. Because it is the role of a man to make sure that anything around you becomes better. Because you are the cultivator. If men can take their rightful position and men will make sure that their society becomes better and it will improve. So I strongly believe that it is your role and my role that to make sure that we improve the lives of those who are around 
us. And here is the most important thing that I want you to grab. And thereafter, I will give you also the scripture. The, 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 the habit number seven that I want you to grab is that men, they must leave a legacy. Men must leave a legacy, not a problem. You leave a legacy, not a problem. And unfortunately today, when you look in our society, there are many problems that have been caused, you know, by men. Men are no longer trusted. Men can no longer be trusted because they cause a lot of problems. But I strongly believe that in this conference, in this meeting, we are going to produce men who are going to impact not just this generation, and but the next generation. I totally believe that there are three types of men. Just before I read the verse for you, there are three types of men. And the first group of men, I call this men, those who make it happen at personal level. And number two, it is those who make it happen at public level. And number three, it is those who make it happen at posterity level. Let us take this, you know, step by step. I said there are three types of men in our society. Number one, it is those who make it happen at personal level. Listen to me, man. If you want to make it in public, if you want to make it in your community, you still have a responsibility to make it happen at personal level. When you look at the life of David, before he could fight the giant in public, he fought the lion and the bear in the private space. He killed the lion and the bear in the private space. Now, in our culture, the, the bear you know, symbolizes, you know, the spirit of unforgiveness. You know, the lion symbolizes the spirit of pride. And before he could even go into the public, this man, he kills the lion and the bear in the private space. And no one saw him while he was killing a bear and a, and a, and a lion in a private space. Now, we, we see David when he was standing before the king. He says to the king, I can face the giant in public because I have killed something in the private space. Listen to me. Most of the time, we want to fight things in a public space, yet we have not killed things in a private space. I want to challenge you, man, because some of the things that we are struggling with in the private space, they have a tendency, you know, of coming out, you know, in public. I want to challenge you, if you want to be a leader in public, if you want to be a person of influence in public, make sure you destroy some things in your private space. Make it happen. Lead yourself in a private space. Be a good father in your private space. Be a good husband in your private space. Be a, a man of influence in your private space before you can make it in a public space. Let me tell you, you need to make sure you conquer things in a private space. Most of the times, even the problems that we face doesn't matter in which space in government. Sometimes we look at people in a, in a public space. We are saying they are so corrupt. We want to deal with them in a public space. But let me tell you, we are too late when you want to deal with something in the public space because those people, they were corrupt in the private space. So the only thing that the public space is doing, it is actually providing or actually uh, revealing what was never conquered in a private space. So as a man, 
If you want to become a man of influence, make sure you conquer your private space. Make it happen, you know, in your personal space. The second thing, you need to make it happen in your public space. Now, in your public space, this is where now you face the giant. Because in a public space, this is where we fight the giants. I mean, remember when you read the book of Samuel, this was the giant who was threatening the, the, the nation of Israel in public. This was the giant. And what is the meaning of the giant? The giant simply means something that is so abnormal. What are the things that are so abnormal in a public space? And they need you, you and I, you know, because we have conquered our private space and now to come into the public, you know, and to conquer that. Let me tell you, there are many things. Today, we've got a problem of rape in this nation. We've got a problem of racism in this nation. We've got a problem of murder in this nation. And these are the things that are happening in the public space and they need people who have conquered in their private space to begin to confront them you know in the public space just like David who faced the giant you know what he did he said you come to me with all the weapons you come to me with all your weapons but I come to you in the name of the Lord listen to me man we're not gonna win this battle with our own strength we're not gonna win this battle with our own wisdom but we need God like never before South Africa we need God on our side David said I come to you in the name of the Lord this is not a flesh and blood battle but it is the battle that we're gonna win in the spiritual realm with God on our side so make it happen at your personal level and make sure that you make it happen you know on the public level that is where we destroy the giants and not just for ourselves but for the next generation and the third thing you know that uh, the left the third level you know of these men it is those who make it happen at posterity level posterity level this is where now you talk about the next generation I strongly believe that as a man you don't just live for today but you live for the sake of the next generation. You must live to live a legacy. You must make sure that when you are no more, there's a legacy that it is left behind. You know what David did here? David, when he stood before the giant, you know what he said? He said to the giant, you know, because remember, the battle was not just the physical battle. You know, Goliath said to David or to Saul, he said, give me a man. And if I fight this man and I win, you and your children... And the next generation, you're going to serve us for the rest of your lives. So this was not just a battle and then between David and Goliath. This was a generational battle. You need to know that as a man, you are fighting what we call a generational battle. It is not just your battle. When you fail, you are not just failing, but you are failing your children. When you fail in life, you are failing the next generation. But here is what David did because David understood that this was not just an ordinary battle. You know what he did? The Bible says he ran to the battlefield. He ran to the battlefield because he understood that if I lose this battle, this it is not me losing, but the next generation, they are going to serve the Philistines for the rest of their lives. That is why he ran into the battlefield. There was no time for him to delay. I want to challenge you as a man to say there's no time, you know, to delay. There's no time to postpone, you know, what you need to do as a businessman. You need to be committed like never before. As a father, you need to be committed to your children like never before. To your marriage like never before. Because this 
It's a battle, not just for you, but for the next generation. And we know what David did at the end of the day. He won the battle, not for himself, but he won the battle for you and I. Today, we are worshiping God because somebody stood in the gap and he fought the giant of the day. My question is today, how many giants have you killed? As a father, as a man, how many giants are still standing in our community and they're still shouting, you know, to take over our nation? How many of you are standing and are saying, I'm going to confront this giant and kill it? So these are the men who are making it happen at posterity level. The man that I've studied, you know, in church history, it is a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards. It says he was born in 1703 and this man, he died in 1758. He was only 55 years when he died. And we are told that the, he was the only boy out of 11 children, born the same year with John Wesley. He gave his life to the Lord at the age of 13. At age 17, this man studied theology. Age 19 was given a church to pastor. Got married at the age of 24. He was also blessed with 11 children, this man. Now somebody, you know, in, in 1730, you know, and this man, we are being told that he brought a moral, you know, spiritual awakening in America. So they wrote about him. But, you know, after the death of this man, Jonathan Edwards, somebody came in who wanted to compile you know, the history of this man, the descendants, what is it that they've done because he was a committed man. Listen to this, you know, and his report or what they've put aside for him. It says by the year 1900, his children and descendants included the following. 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, three U.S. senators, one U.S.A. deputy president, 66 physicians, 135 editors, one publisher, over 100 overseas missionaries, over 100 philanthropists. I love the last statement about him. This man says, who was compiling the report, he says his descendants cost the government not a single cent because he was a man who had this vision of building his community and his society. Look at what his descendants has done. In this nation, we leave a lot of problems not solution. But this man, his children did not even cost a government a single cent. He solved the problems of his time or in his community. I want to challenge you as a man today that you have been called by God not to cause problems, but to solve problems. As a matter of fact, all of us will be remembered with one thing in life. The problems we solved or the problems we caused. I'm asking you and I'm begging you as man 
Let us solve the problems so that when we are no more, people can remember us for the problems that we have solved. I am praying and believing God that when that day come on my life to go and meet the Lord, people will remember me with the problems that I have solved. The scripture that changed my life as I close is in the book of Psalms, Psalms 112. It says, blessed, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. When you are a righteous man, the Bible says you are a blessed man because you are not just blessed alone, but even your descendants. I want to challenge you, church of Jesus. Let us do this, not just for ourselves. I know some of us, our marriages are not that good, but I want to challenge you this morning. Just do it, not just for yourself, but for the sake of the next generation. I know that some of us, the, the environment, it is no longer conducive in this country. When you watch the news, a lot of corruption, you know, a lot of noise, a lot of depressing issues. But I want to challenge you as men, just stand your ground. Stand for what it is right. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It is all about the next generation. Together we can stand and build this nation. The scripture says only the righteous men, the righteous people can produce righteous descendants. And we can have a nation that is so strong. So I want you men of God to take your rightful position and let us take this nation to the next level. I strongly believe that is the role of a man in our society. Make sure you make it happen in your personal life. Discipline yourself. Live a faithful life. Make it happen in a public space. Get involved in a public space and make sure that you also influence the next generation so that when you are no more, they would remember you with the problems that you have solved, not the problems that you have caused. I pray God's blessings over your life. And once again, thank you. Thank you guys for giving me this opportunity. May the good God do you good in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Awesome. What a great preach that was. Um, I have the privilege, men, of sitting down with Chris and being able to ask him some questions on his personal life, on his ministry, and on this preach. Uh, we're really trusting as elders that uh, from the preach and through the questions, there's going to be some awesome time of ministry at your site. So let's dive into it. Chris, thank you so much for the time. Uh, let's start off. How many years have you been, ma been married? Oh, thank you, man. Um, I've been married now for 23 years. And we are blessed with five children, uh, three boys and three girls, man. 
Yo, that is incredible. So, yeah. 23 years, every married man wants to know, what is the secret to a good marriage? Let me tell you, uh, I think in marriage you need to be more forgiving. You need to be more generous. You need to be more committed, you know, and more supporting to your wife. And that will be accompanied by you being generous and your wife will love you to beat, man. Ah, that is, that is, that is some valuable information there. So, according to the documents I've got, your likes are running. Yeah. You just did a 10K run this morning. So, uh, congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you, man. But, um, sure, many of us want to know, it says here that you love watching a game of football. Yeah. Who do you support? Well, right here in South Africa, I support Orlando Pirate. You may uh, not believe that, but I do. And obviously, Man United, that is my team, man. Eh? I'm glad we can agree on something. Man United <laughs> is definitely the best team. We'll just get that in there. So let's dive into some of the questions. Uh, yeah. Chris has written this book called Devoted Citizen. Uh, it's an incredible book. Uh, I look forward to diving into it. But uh, what, was the, what was the heart behind writing a book about Devoted Citizen? You know, um, over the years, it has been bothering me, you know, as a Christian. You know, actually, I sense the Lord was saying to me, we are good Christians, but we are not good citizens. Wow. And what came to my mind is that you find that Christians, they've got nice buildings. The landscape is so beautiful. But when you leave the building, you know, just outside the landscape, it's a chaos. Our streets are dirty. Sure. Then and there, the Lord said to me, you are a good Christian in your building, but you are not a good citizen. And that troubled me. And he gave me the scripture in the book of Luke chapter 10, the story of the good Samaritan. Yeah. You know, when a priest happened to pass by the man who was wounded and the Levite did the same. But we find this good Samaritan, which I call a devoted citizen. He comes in and then he helps this man, takes out the first aid kit. He takes the man to the inn. He says to the innkeeper, Take care of this man. Whatever you spend on him, you know, I will pay. That is a good citizen. I strongly believe that we need to graduate from a level of being Christians and begin to become devoted citizen where we impact the nation, not just the church, but our works and, and our influence must be known in our country. So the heart of this book, it's simply in that area that we must become devoted citizen and change this nation for the better. That is incredible. I, I want to suggest, uh, where can we get it? So you can get the book. It's also an exclusive bookshop. Okay. CNA, they've got it. And then we also have it in our offices awesome. at Hope Restoration awesome. Ministries. Yeah. I think that would be a great opportunity for us to get one and, uh, get reading because I think it's important for us not just to, like you say, change the church, but yeah. change society. That's and, and, really change, and change this nation. You know, I strongly believe we've got a beautiful country. Absolutely. If all of us, we can become good citizens and we can build this country and we can have a best country, you know, compared to other countries. Amen. Amen. So in your preach, you spoke about seven habits uh, to be highly effective as a godly man. Yeah. And the first one was take responsibility. Yeah. So now, the question I have is, um, where's the line between taking responsibility and being proactive and trusting God? Because you know, obviously we're Christians, so we want to trust God as much as we can. But how do you take action and trust God? Maybe you can give us some practical yeah. tips there. You know, the Bible says we must trust in God. You know, we, we know that. But we need also to remember that the very same God that we trust in him, he wants us to take responsibility. You know, God placed Adam in the garden, you know, he provided the seed. 
it was his, respons his responsibility to make sure that he yeah. plants the seed so that he can have the fruit. God cannot yeah. plant the yeah. seed for you. Good. He would give you the seed. But it is your role and your responsibility to make sure that you cultivate what God has given unto you. Most of the time, people are saying, I'm trusting the Lord and trusting the Lord, but you do nothing. No, no, no. It's okay to trust the Lord, but you still have a responsibility for things to become better in yeah. your life or for Good. things to happen in your life. Make sure you take responsibility and you'll have have a better life. That is, I think you hit the nail on the, on the head right there. Uh, one of the, the other things you were speaking about is, is leading in the midst of crisis. Now, um, how have you found as a, as a father, as a husband, as a church leader, as a community leader, uh, we're in the midst of crisis. There's, yeah. <clears throat> there's COVID, um, there's been a massive spike in gender-based violence. There's been a massive spike in racism around the world. Now, how have you found in yourself, you've been able to lead through this crisis. Yeah. And then obviously bleeding into the next point is being an example. So have you been able to, to lead your congregation and lead, lead in a way that people looking up to you can say, I want to fo follow that man yeah. um, in the way he leads himself. But you're not, you're not silent. You're not just agreeing and you're not just keeping quiet about these issues. Yeah. You know, there's two things, you know, that can happen when you are facing a crisis. You can either you know, reveal, be visible, or you can hide. And most of the people during crisis, they actually hide instead of being visible. And I decided to say, you know what, great leaders, they don't hide during crisis because where there is crisis, there's also opportunities. Yeah. You understand? It's an opportunity for you to be known and for you to voice out. I felt this time that it was not a time for me and to take a backseat. Many people, they've got questions. Many people, they've got concerns. You know, fear, it's actually grasping people. Mm. And this is where, number one, as a father, children are asking questions. Daddy, what is happening? Be there as a father. Give a, a direction. Give a guidance. You know, the church, they want to know what is happening like this. It's not a season for me, you know, to hide. It is a season for me to lead, you know. And leading doesn't mean you know all the answer. Sometimes you need to tell them, I don't know, guys. Good. And I will still, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find out what to do. But be a voice in the midst of crisis. As a leader, as a father in your, in, in your family, in your community, you cannot be quiet because people, they, they want to hear from you. So this was the season where... I felt I cannot take a backseat. Let me communicate. You know, some of the things that we did in this season, we had to communicate with our people through emails, you know, I mean, media, all the time to make sure that they can hear the voice. We send the message of hope. We send, we send the message of encouragement. I mean, a lot of things are happening in this country. And the painful thing that we are living in the country where they magnify negative things. Mm. You'd realize, I mean, we take a small thing Recently, we've got an issue of, you know, black hair and white hair. You know, it has just become a big thing. And they magnify that. And I totally stand against that. I strongly believe that there are beautiful things that are happening in this country. And we need to promote them. People, they need to do that. But they're not going to hear that when we are quiet and we don't promote beautiful things in a season yeah. like this. That leads me to the next question of... Um you're a man, you, you, you chatted about a little bit in, in your preach, yeah. that started off against a lot of adversity. And um, you were on the streets, 
but yet the man I'm speaking to now is very different. Yeah. Maybe just take us back to, to the beginning and maybe just walk us through, if you can, what, 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 was, the, what, what was the driving force that, that made you make those decisions to get you? Because it's easy to say, yeah. I, can't, I could never be a man who's been married for, for 23 years with five children, who's leading a church, who's, who's living the life you're living yeah. when you're sitting yeah. on the streets yeah. and eating food out of, out of a, a garbage can. Yeah. You, you can't really put the two dots together, but sort of just walk us through the yeah. journey for you. Well, no, let, me, let me give you a break. Thank you for asking that question. You know, my father was married to two wives. And um, I'm a son, the last son of a second wife. Yeah. And living in a small room, a four-room house, you know, the, what we call the RDP houses yeah. now. The, the environment was not that conducive for me. I felt I cannot handle this. At the age of 10, it was terrible. At the age of 10, I decided let me just go and try another life outside. And I was in the streets for five years, you know. And let me tell you, I was taking Dacha. I was taking any form of drugs that you can think of. Literally living like a hobo, you know, those boys that you see on the street. Because that was the choice that I have made. Until this good Samaritan, this woman came to me and said, listen, you're going to die on the streets. You can change your life. You can take responsibility and build your life. Mm -hmm. At the age of 15, I had to go back to school. I was taught how to read at that age because I decided I want a better life. I cannot just be a state. I cannot just be a part of those people who died without being known. I took a decision right there. I said, you know what? I'm looking at my family, all of my brothers and my sisters. They don't have a good life. And I don't want to go the very same route. You know, just like the story of Jabez. It says yeah. he was more yeah. honorable than his brothers, you know. Sure. He decided that he's going to do something about his life. That is what I did. And thank God that at the age of 18, I gave my life to the Lord. And that is when my, you know, my vision or the light came into my life and I started following Christ and I was exposed to the real life and I started desiring a better life. Going back to school, I studied theology. I came back to the very same community. I built a church by God's grace. We influence people. Today, we've got thousands and thousands of people who are following us based on what God is, has done in my life. But the most important thing is that here comes a time in your life where you take a responsibility, where you say, enough, it's enough. I want to build my life. That is exactly what I've done. And everybody can do the same because we can blame the past. You know, it is very, it is sexy. Somebody said it is sexy to blame the past. It is sexy to blame the apartheid. But let me tell you, we are not the first nation and the last nation we have experienced what we have experienced. Look at Dubai. Dubai, they got their independence 50 years ago. And look what they've done in, their in that nation okay. with two resources, only water and the desert. But they've transformed that nation. And today, everybody wants to go to Dubai and invest there. You know what they did? They decided we cannot just complain and then complain about our problems. We're going to build this nation and moving forward. That is my attitude. I'm a man who wants to build this nation, who wants to build my family, who wants to build my life, than to sit in the corner and complain. Yeah, that's incredible. So one of the things you said and one of the points was building a legacy. So uh, that obviously takes time as well. So if I'm, a, if, if I'm putting myself in someone else's shoes, if I'm really uh, trying my best to try and get a job or something like that, you speak about, and I have a family, and maybe we hit on some bad times and that, how... 
how can I sort of start that process of trying yeah. to, maybe I've got children and I want, I want to leave them a legacy, but yeah. I can't even provide food for them. What yeah. do I, is it both a spiritual and, a, and yeah. a practical thing or? I think we need to define the word legacy. You know, legacy is not what you leave to them. People, they think legacy is the material things that you leave to your children. But I strongly believe that legacy begins in what you do in the inside of them, the values sure. that you teach in your children. That is the true legacy. You know many people who have, who have left a lot of resources, material things to their children. Businesses were left to their children six months down the line and the business went down because the boy or the girl did not have values. The legacy that I'm talking about, it is the values. If we can teach our children, you know, to have values, that is the first thing. Because if they can have values, that is the best legacy. They will be able, you know, to, to take care of the material thing. The legacy that I'm leaving in the lives of my children is that, you know, you need to honor yourself. You need to honor other people, respect the elderly people, you know, love and honor the laws of the country. Build your country. Don't litter on the street. This is the, is the country that you must take care of. Okay. You don't relieve yourself anywhere and move around and urinate everywhere. Take care of your, the landscape of the earth that God has given unto you. And the moment you do that, this thing will take care of you. These are the values. And once again, these are the things that I'm touching on the devoted citizen okay. because it is a book that teaches people about the values. And that is the best legacy that we can leave in the lives of of our children. Material things can vanish. How many people have lost their businesses now during COVID-19? Yeah. You know, because they thought that this was a legacy. Don't get me wrong. The Bible says a good father leaves an inheritance for his children and grandchildren. If you can leave resources and values, that is the best legacy that you can ever give to your children. Awesome. Awesome. So one of the things I want to, I want to, ask you just to, to highlight is you've spoken about these three types of men and a lot of a lot of uh, you speak about the devoted citizen a lot of the examples you've given are very practical and I think we need that Christianity can't just be a, a, a thing in our mind but we are dealing with 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 hopefully godly men so yeah. how a godly principle that we hear in church is accountability yeah and uh, working with someone and, and and having an accountable life and often we want as men, we don't want to be accountable because we we think no, we need to we need our life to be perfect before yeah. we can open up about everything. How important is accountability for you? You, you, you know, I've just ministered to someone a few weeks ago. I said, uh, no man is an island. You know, no man is an island. You need other men next to you, especially when it comes to your private space. You know, Good. all men have struggles. And you must be able to share your private space, your personal struggles with other men. Who is holding you accountable? Do you have a man who can call you to say, you know, in the middle of the night, uh, James or Chris, what is it that you are watching? What type of a program are you watching? How is your life with your wife? Mm. You know, uh, can your wife call any man to say, you know, Chris is troubling me? You need to be accountable. Let me tell you, you need people, you know, to hold your, your, your ladder while you are moving forward. Unfortunately, people, they, don't, they just want to climb the ladder without anybody, you know, holding their ladder. And that is why the fall is so big, you know, as men, because we don't have people who are holding us accountable. As men, 
as a man at home, I want to ask you, be accountable to somebody else. That is why a home sale, it is very important, you know, so that people can hold you accountable and you're going to become better. That is brilliant. And in these, uh, you've, 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 you touched a lot on the personal side, you know, the uh, killing the bear and killing the, the lion, and that yeah. sets you up for success with the Giants. Could you maybe, as a community, as a as cornerstone, as the men, how can you maybe give us some practical guidelines of how we can look and say, you know, these are the giants that we're facing in our communities. How can we take them on? Yeah. Well, we've got many giants. You know, um, I mean, COVID-19 actually exposed us. We realized that there are many ills in our community, and these are the giants. The first one, obviously, is the one, you know, um, abuse against women, violence yeah. against women. That is a big giant. And we need to begin to talk, you know, among ourselves as men. You know, we must hold, you know, one another, you know, when it comes to these issues, you know, of uh, uh, abuse of women and make sure that we don't go into that, into that line as well. And I've also realized that in our community, we've got a lot of people who are struggling in the, in the area of poverty, you know, and as men, we can come in, and I know that you guys are doing it in this, in this church. I want to encourage you. Let's keep on doing that. Let us take care of the, of the poor. You understand? The Bible is very clear. It says we take care of the poor, and it's something that we need to do. You know, actually, before I came in here uh, this morning, we just went into another place. We're just coming together with men, and we realized that there's a single parent staying in that house, in that shack with five children. We decided that it's men. You know what? We're going to build a house for that woman. Sure. And let me tell you, the house that we are talking about, an RDP house, it will cost you something like 100000 Rent. And we decided as men, we're going to do this thing, empower this woman so that she can empower her children. So if we can open our eyes, we'd realize that there are a lot of giants. The last one maybe I can suggest. Look at this woman. Unfortunately, she's not even here. She has passed on now to be with the Lord. A woman who picked me up from the street. She's not here to celebrate what the Lord is doing now. She decided to touch one life. And this life has touched now thousands and thousands. Most of the time, you don't need to do a bigger thing. As a man, you can adopt a boy. What about the, the boy, you know, your neighbor's son? You know, this woman, there's no father in that, in that, in that family, and she's continued to trouble, you know, that single parent. Why don't you just go to this boy time and again, help him with the homework? You know, just take him for a breakfast, give him some advices so that he can become a good man. Those are some of the giants that we are facing in our community, and we can do something about them. Sure. That is, that is gold. So I'm going to ask you to put on another hat now. Uh, we've, we've looked at you from an author perspective, and I can see that that's your passion. But now as a, as a church leader, yeah. and I know, I know you don't put those hats on and off. You, yep. you, are, you are a church leader all the time. But as a church leader, how do you, you want to see social change? Yeah. But, and, and the gospel does address that. Yeah. But it also speaks about kingdom values. It speaks about, uh, you know, it speaks about, and there's a strong emphasis of, you know, you see Paul of keep the gospel at the forefront of everything. Yep. How do you, 
bridge the gap so your church doesn't just and you don't just become a helping everyone but you're still giving people the gospel because it's no point feeding everyone and curing every disease if they don't have if their hearts aren't changed how do you keep the gospel at the forefront of what you do yeah the 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 principle here is that we we follow the hearts the heart of jesus when jesus saw that the people were following him because of the miracle that he performed he rebuked them there and there He said, you are after me because of the bread. He said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You know, when we give that bread to the people, we remind them it is not about the physical bread. Mm. We are here to present the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. Because you can have the bread, but if you don't have him, you will go to hell with a full stomach. And we don't want you to go to hell with a full stomach. We want you to go to heaven with a full stomach. That is the message of the church. Jesus fed the hungry, but at the end of the day, he told them that you need to seek first the kingdom of God. The church of Jesus will do charity work, but we are not called for charity work. We are called to save the souls. But the vehicle that we'll use is the one, you know, of charity work. But the main thing, the church of Jesus must never lose that. Our mandate, number one, is to save the souls because souls are very precious in the sight of God. Yo, that, uh, that, that, that hit the heart. That was very good. Uh, Chris, you've touched a bit in the introduction. We, we touched a little bit on some keys to, to being a parent. How, what, what has been some of the... the the nuggets that you've held on to as a father, you know, I'm, I've got three kids and, um, uh, you know, I've had a great example of a father. The last thing I'd want is it's me to drop the ball. And then my yeah. kids don't have a good example of a father. How do we, how do we carry on? Cause a lot of what you're saying is legacy and, and passing this on. What, what practically as a father, and obviously that's what translates into, yeah. Yeah. to, uh, a, a church father to, yeah. to other children and that, but as a father, what sort of uh, nuggets could you, could you give us? I think the temptation at, uh, at the space that I'm in, you know, um, I'm being celebrated everywhere. It will be the biggest mistake and many leaders, that's what they do. They are being celebrated. They've got time for everybody. They've got time for the church members, but they don't even have time for their children. Yeah. That is a tragedy. Let me tell you, as much as you can be busy, as much as you can be celebrated out there, doesn't matter how many millions you've got, how many organizations that you have. The most important thing, your children, when they ask you, you must be available for them. You must set aside time for your wife, for your children, where you put aside your cell phone. You know, sometimes this technology has just made us slaves and then we think we are so smart. You remember those days, there was no cell phone and we, we, we lived our lives, you know, but today you want to go on holiday, you still want to keep your, your laptop there, you still want to work. Let me tell you, you know, you can always, I always say to people, you know, um, in life, you will always juggle, you know, the balls. Yeah. You know, there, there's a ball there that wishes a rubber, the two ones, which is your friend, your, your, your company or your ministry. It is, a, it is a rubber one. When you drop that ball, it will always bounce back. You know, but when it comes to the family ball, it is a glass ball. Yeah. When you drop that, it is gone. You, it will never bounce back. And I want to say to men, 
those who are busy, you know, with their career, your career is doing so well. Make sure that you remember this. Family, it's a glass. It is a glass ball. If you drop that, you cannot recover that. You can recover your friends. You can recover the money that you have Brilliant. lost. And these are the values that they kept me all the time. I insist in my family, even this morning, I make sure I drop the boys, you know, at school. I speak a prayer, you know, with them. Every morning, it is my commitment because there's nobody who can do that, you know, unless if I'm somewhere, I'll ask somebody to do that. So those are the values that we need to keep. And I know it is something that is not common, especially in a black family, you know, in a black community. But I want to encourage even my black brothers. It is something that we need to do for our children so that they can grow and become great leaders. You know, when children have received the love of a parent, and I'm saying this emotionally because I never had the love of a father. Mm -hmm. You know, I never had the love of a family. I grew up in the streets and that pain is still hitting me. And I don't want my children to go through that, you know. And so I want to encourage everybody, if you've got that opportunity, do it. It's going to go a long way. Yo, I um, had the privilege of hearing you speak at a conference last year. And there was a statement that you said there. I don't know if, you, if it was a throwaway statement or something, but it stuck with me. And it was that as leaders, as church leaders, we cannot waste time. You said if you're driving somewhere, you're listening to a podcast or you're listening to an audio book, or if you're in a plane, you're not just sitting watching random stuff on that. You, 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 everything's with purpose. Obviously, as, as a Christian, we, we look to the Bible, we read our Bible, we pray, we do all of those. But maybe you can give us a top five. What top five, if it's a podcast, if it's a book, I know you mentioned the, the, um, the, the seven habits of being highly successful. Um, what, what, what could you recommend? Because um, we don't want to just, yeah. you know, I, I took what you said as a, as a rebuke to me and I was like, yeah. Craig, you just waste so much time sitting in the car listening to random stuff when you could be digesting stuff that's good for you and it's going to grow you as a man. Yeah. Um, um, thank you. Um, I'm a leader. I always want to be on the cutting edge. Very important as a leader, you need to be on the cutting edge because the community or the, the space that we are in, things are happening so fast. Yeah. And if you are not on the cutting edge, you're not going to lead this, this generation. So that is why I make sure when... I get into my car, it's either I listen to a CD, you know, somebody's preaching, somebody's teaching about something so that I can turn my car into a school. Remember, I did not have, have the best education. So for me, every minute count, every minute count. So I turn my car into a school. If I'm in the plane flying overseas, I don't just watch movies. You know, what I'll do, I'll go to a documentary I want to learn about something, you know, and, and so that I can be on the cutting edge. Reading books, let me tell you, I've got a budget. Every month I buy books. I buy books every month to a value of a thousand rand. I, um, I taught my children, my children, you know, they know at home. You know, if you read a book, you finish a book. I'm rewarding them with a 500 rand for yeah. reading a book. I it is part that. of the culture. So they keep on fighting. They know if they want money from me, you read a book and then you explain that book. I get that knowledge from them because they read That's that brilliant. book and then now they transfer the knowledge to me. I give them 500 rand for doing that because I must raise leaders. I want them to become leaders and change the world.
Oh, that is incredible. Awesome. Chris, thank you. It's been an absolute privilege to be able to sit here and ask you some questions. Uh, I think you have opened up yep. so many uh, avenues that we can dive down. I think you've challenged us. Uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you. And all the best to all the men. And let's do it together, guys. And remember, let them remember you for the problems that you have solved, not the problems that you have caused. You know, I've made a commitment with my wife. I said to my wife, I'm going to love you, my darling, to a point that if it happened that God takes me first. And then if you think about getting married, you're not going to get married because there's no man who can fit those shoes. There's Brilliant. no man who's going to love you just like me. So that is my commitment. Do that for your women. Do that for your children. Until next time, thank you for the opportunity. Awesome. Bless you, my brother. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. And uh, guys, enjoy the rest of your uh, afternoon at Fight Club. And uh, we'll see you soon. Cheers.